This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. This week I'm releasing a episode from the archives here from near the very beginning of the show in episode five. Um, This conversation is actually one I had with my friend Sean Reed, who I went to high school with, uh, went to youth group, and also we both worked at Christian bookstores during that time and everything. Um, And it's really just a a very fun conversation in a lot of ways where we talk about uh, just working in Christian bookstores, what our high school and youth groups were like, and I mean, we just cover a lot of really fun ground. Um, So I'm resurfacing this one because it's a little earlier in the feed, and if you're a recent listener and you haven't delved into the archives, this is a good sample of the sort of things that have been discussed even from the very beginning. It's a pretty fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, I'll be out with a new episode next Tuesday, and I'm really looking forward to sharing that one with you. In the meantime, though, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Reed, Sean Reed, excuse me. <laughs> I'm doing this intro in just one take. Um, hope you enjoy my conversation with Sean Reed, and please follow the show on all of the different platforms, uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash exvangelicalpod, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash exvangelicalpod. You can follow me on Twitter at brchastain, and that's about it. Um, also, look up the Facebook group, uh, search for Exvangelical on Facebook, and you can also support the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash exvangelicalpod. All right, let's get into it. Welcome him to Exvangelical, so welcome, Sean. Thanks, Blake. I'm happy to be a part of the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Um, so, uh, like, like I mentioned just a, just a minute ago, uh, we met in high school. We kind of ran in different... Uh, we we had similar friend groups, but then we actually didn't go to the same youth group or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Like it's it's kind of like we had like common friends and we had like common activities. Like I think we were both in choir together. Yeah, we and, were. Yeah, I think you were a couple of years ahead of me in school. So um, it, it was cool, you know, kind of getting to know you in high school because you had this, you know, tight group of friends already around you and you, you guys kind of accepted me into the group, which was, uh, awesome for me. And like a, you know, sort of a big self-esteem boost, right? You know, during <laughs> the trying times in high school. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You, I mean, I know, yeah. Choir was definitely, we, we saw each other a lot in choir. I think we were in the like freshman, sophomore chorus together, maybe mm-hmm. May, I think we were. That um, it was like my sophomore year, I think your freshman year. And then, yeah, um, yeah that whole choral department w- ran into each other all the time. So <laughs> uh, so at school, we were, even though we didn't have similar classes most of the, most of the time, we saw each other a lot through the, through the choral classes. And then um, you had a, a good friend, uh, Rob, that, uh, yeah. that we were both friends with. And I, I think from time to time you would come to our youth group, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it it sort of started off that way. Like it, it it was like, uh, Rob and, um, gosh, do you remember Kenny? Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so Robin, Robin Kenny sort of like coerced me into going to the, to the youth group at that church. And at the time I was going to like a, a not a quote unquote non-denominational church. So I like to make the shift in the, in the evangelical world from non-denominational to Methodist is a huge jump apparently. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, took, it took me and my family a while to get over the mental hurdle of me going to an ev- or to a Methodist church for youth group. But, um, but, but it was great. I mean, I, I, I established a lot of sort of the seminal relationships in my life at that point at that church, you know, guys like you and Rob, um, the, the youth pastor, Ben, um, you know, people who I still am in contact with on a, you know, semi-regular basis, even at this point in my life. So, uh, it was definitely a good experience overall, I think, uh, especially socially, but um, and getting back to sort of maybe the, what we're going to talk about more at length in this podcast, um, I, I think there's maybe and, and I don't want to give away too much, but maybe there's a little bit of a darker side to evangelicalism, uh, a, a seedy, a seedy underbelly, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a common undercurrent to a lot of a lot of stories that uh, that that come up when when you talk about these things. Um, sure. But let, let's backtrack a little bit. Um, I, what about uh, before high school? I didn't know you then. Did you, um, had you always lived in the Chicago suburbs? Did you always, li- did you grow up there? Or did you grow up somewhere else before moving? I mean, it's a very, our, our town was very, tr- could be very transient, especially at that time. <laughs> yeah. So I, I grew up primarily in Yorkville, Illinois, which is just West of where we grew up in Naperville. Um, until fourth grade or fifth grade or something like that. And then we moved out to Naperville. So like half an hour West <laughs> where yeah. we lived previously. And um, we, we moved there ostensibly because of the schools, which I, I will say this Naperville, Illinois has some great schools. So if you're listening to this and looking for a great place <laughs> to raise your kids, I recommend Naperville. Um, but so, so yeah, we moved out there when I was in like fourth or fifth grade and, and, I went all the way uh, really through college out in Naperville, um, all of high school. And then I moved down to uh, Carbondale for a couple of years for my first two years of school, decided SIU and, and aviation weren't. Well, I guess let me take a step back. Maybe I should explain my background a little bit. Sure. Um, so uh, after high school, I after graduating, I went down to Southern Illinois University. I did a couple of years as an aviation management major, um, which was part flying and part business. And uh, after a couple of years, I sort of had a, a, a like a coming to Jesus moment, uh, no pun intended, I guess, with uh, my flight instructor, who was sort of my, my my mentor at the time. And, you know, this was 2005 or so. So this is basically on the heels of 9-11 when all of the airlines were merging and contracting and. Um, we had a long discussion and basically the crux of it was if I can't get a job in this industry, how are you going to get a job? So, uh, hat in hand, I sort of came back home to Naperville and wasn't really sure what to do. And, uh, I was getting close to the, to the end of summer. And my mom basically told me if you don't find another school to get into, I'm not going to pay for it anymore. So I, um, I got into uh, a little, uh, liberal arts school in Naperville, um, and I studied uh, marketing and religious studies while I was there and uh, graduated, geez, like almost 10 years ago. We're getting old, man. <laughs> yes. Yes, we absolutely are. 
I don't need a, I don't need any more reminders of that. <laughs> Tell me about it. Tell me. I'm, I'm getting gray hairs, Blake. It's not good. Um, but anyway, so I went to uh, North Central College. And, and North Central College, I, I mentioned seminal moments in my life. North Central College was a seminal moment in my life because I came into it um, from a very uh, sort of deep rooted Christian, like evangelical perspective. Um, to give you an idea of my religious background, really up until we moved to Naperville, our family wasn't what you would call religious. Uh, we, you would probably call us priesters. We went to Christmas on Christmas or church on Christmas and Easter. Um, my mom was probably the most, uh, what I'd call religious person in our family. Um, and she was where we really got the evangelical part of our faith. Um, my dad had grown up primarily like Presbyterian, um, sort of, so maybe a little bit more on the liturgical side of evangelical. Uh, my mom definitely was a lot more on the, um, conservative side, I guess the, or, uh, maybe the more liberal side, depending on how you look at it, I, I guess, uh, to put it on a scale, if I'm uh, putting it on a scale from uh, Unitarians to Catholics, my dad was closer to the Catholic end of the spectrum. And my mom was a little bit more was a little bit closer, maybe to the Unitarian side of the spectrum. Okay, <laughs> um, if, if that's a scale that makes sense, even. Um, so really, until like I said, until we moved to Neighborville, so fourth or fifth grade. Um, didn't have too much exposure to it. I mean, we had been raised learning all the Old Testament stories, the creation story, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, David and Goliath, all of those Old Testament stories. Um, we'd been raised to know that Jesus was the Savior, but we didn't really know too much about that. Up At, at that point in my life, we'd never really had the discussion about... Um, a relationship with Christ or being saved or any of the um, terminology that's kind of thrown around in the uh, evangelical faith. So at that point in my life, I, I wouldn't say anybody was really a serious Christian um, as, as we would have called it at that point. Um, but then we moved to Naperville and we started going to a church called book road Baptist church and it was uh, convenient because they 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 held their church services at an elementary school about a quarter mile from our house. And uh, how we came to join the church was they basically showed up at our front door and proselytized us. Um, so that probably took us at least about a year before we started actually going to the church. And I remember sort of a state of confusion a little bit. Um, I felt like the family dynamic was a little bit in flux. And I remember my dad really wrestling with the idea of salvation and with the idea of faith. And I, I think, I, I think, and I mean, I don't know this for sure, obviously, like my dad has, has history that he tells me in history that he probably doesn't tell me. So I, I don't know everything about, you know, how he grew up or, and I don't claim to, but um, I feel like he grew up sort of the same way that I initially grew up. And that was go to church on Christmas and Easter and, you know, pray before Thanksgiving and, you know, you're pretty much good for the year in God's eyes. So, um, yeah. 
so like he never really took it that seriously. And then we started sort of going to this church on and off and um, he started getting in these deep theological conversations with the pastor. Um, I, I remember one night the pastor was there until like 1 a.m. and they were just having a, a, you know, sort of a deep discussion around the dinner table. And that culminated with my dad accepting Christ as his savior. Um, and that really changed the family dynamic. It, I, I remember from that point on is when we really started getting involved in the church, um, he would get up and help lead worship. I would have to get up and help lead worship. I started taking piano lessons from the pastor's wife. And before he knew it, I was playing all of the classics, like as the deer and gosh, I can't even think of all the other bad, like eighties or seventies, even Christian music. <laughs> a lot, uh, worship of, a music. lot of Rich Mullins, a lot of, uh, yeah. Amy Grant, Amy Grant. And, um, who is the other, what was that big band? Chris Tomlin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like, uh, I remember having to get up and, you know, play piano for the church and stuff during offering. And I, this was a little church. I mean, this was 30 people. Our family easily made up it. We had a five person family. We easily made up a fifth or a sixth of the church's population. So small population. And, um, that church was also one of the first churches that I really sort of saw the, um, the political aspects of Christianity and religion and politics within the church. Um, it was also really one of the first times that there were, that I'd seen so much strife in a church that it, it literally fractured the organization. Um, there's just, uh, there, there are so many different people pulling in so many different directions. They couldn't agree on what they thought, um, God's path for them was, and it, it really just uh, split the church. Everybody went in different directions. The pastor and his wife left. Um, they built they built a church on Book Road, but um, I, from what I understand, the congregation is still very small and and not very successful in terms of, or at least in relation to the other churches around them in the area. Hmm. Um, but so that was. Uh, and it was sort of at that point. Um, so that was maybe eighth grade. So this is, you know, five years into that church or excuse me, three years into that church or so. Um, so in eighth grade, we had, a, or I had a, a neighbor who lived across the street from me. You might actually remember him. Um, and you can bleep his last name if you want, but, uh, <laughs> but Steve Hall. Uh, yeah. Friend? Yeah. Good, good yeah. friends with John. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to name drop. Like, no, <laughs> I hope these people are comfortable with me name dropping. But. It's it's fine. I can I can edit out things. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in any event, so Plus, that's uh, a really common sounding name. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Um, so so Steve anyway invited me to go to uh, his church, which was uh, more on the north side of Naperville, and uh, so that was a you know solid twenty minute drive. 25 minute drive there and back. And my mom never wanted to do it. So I started driving with him every, you know, Thursday night or whatever. And that's really when I started getting involved in, in like Christian culture and like pop Christian culture and worship and leading worship and, uh, you know, really everything that goes along with that service trips. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm running out of things to list, but you get the, <laughs> you get the idea. Um, yeah, so, you probably did some car washes. Um. <laughs> yeah, plenty of those. 
you, you gotta raise you have to raise money for a um for a for a mission trip with a sexy Christian car wash. <laughs> that's right. That's that's the only way to do it. You know what? There were always plenty of cars. That's right. That's right. That's right. Which is a little unnerving thinking back. (laughs) Especially when it's the pastor and he just keeps driving his car through. Um, So, yeah. So that was my first, you know, kind of experience with that. And um, it was at a point in my life where, and I mean, everybody goes through this, right? It's just like the socially awkward point in your life during high school where you don't really know what it takes to fit in. And so you're, you're trying to fit in really with whoever accepts you. (laughs) And like, um, the nice thing about Christians is that to certain people, they're very accepting. Um, and I, fortunately, or or maybe unfortunately for me, um, this church was super accepting. I mean, uh, I came in, I didn't really know anybody. Um, you know, Steve was a couple years older than me. So he went into like the high school youth group or something like that. And I think I was still in the middle school youth group. So, so not really knowing anybody, I went in and, you know, kind of sat through the first uh, youth group meeting and it was kind of fun. We played, you know, games or something during the middle of it and sang songs and everybody was really nice. and It was great. So I kept going back. And um, the more I went back, the more I developed these, you know, sort of relationships with everybody and uh, the more confident I felt and the more comfortable I felt in that environment and that's that's sort of when I, I really started to drink the Kool-Aid. Um, and I, I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way, because I think there's a lot of positive a- aspects to Christianity and to evangelicalism. Um, but that was when I really, you know, bought in. That definitely echoes in, in my life and everything. I mean, I, I moved to Naperville with like six weeks left in my freshman year of high school. And I like didn't really meet anyone within those six weeks that I was going to hang out with during the summer. Um, so like my sister was already in college. We had, we had a, like basically the summer where we just hung out and watched movies all, all summer. That's where my sister and I really bonded as semi adults or whatever. And then the following sophomore year, I started going, we started going to the church right down the road from where we lived and I just hit it off with some kids there. I think I figured out that there were some kids at school that I knew that went to the church down the road, and then that just snowballed. And then those relationships can become, like, to use a marketing term, which you work, you've worked some in marketing and studied marketing, it's like something sticky, you know? It's like, <laughs> it's like, it, it, like, it's like a, it's, they're like sticky relationships. It's not with a brand though. It's like with the people that you, (laughs) that you get to know. And when you're very, when you really want to be liked and you really want to be accepted and you're trying to figure out the entire world and you've got hormones raging inside of you, like (laughs) it's a, it's a crazy time to be a person. (laughs) Oh, Um, totally. So, So yeah, I, that totally, I mean, yeah, whenever, whenever you hit it off with someone in that environment, it can be an extremely powerful thing. And it's not, to your point, it's not all bad, not by any means. It's not like it's all bad. It's just that there's, it has a tinge of this, it has this overarching religious environment that, that encompasses everything. And that's where... <laughs> Yeah, that's, you know, that's the part of what we're doing here is 
is examining that part of it. So right, and that's a it's a big box to unpack too. Sure. Yeah. One of the things you want to talk about, you know, sort of being in that environment, and it's funny now, sort of being a little bit removed, and we can talk about this more later when we talk about the break, but you know, now maybe being removed from that environment, I almost feel like I would imagine how somebody who gets out of a cult feels like to some extent. And I, I, I don't want to, uh, I, I don't want anyone to misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not associating uh, evangelicalism with being a cult. <laughs> That's not my intent. I, I'm just saying that I feel like there are some aspects of it that once I'm on the outside as uh, maybe a biased or unbiased observer, hopefully unbiased, but I think I'm probably a little jaded. Um, <laughs> but, you know, being on the outside, like I do feel like, man, how could I believe this? And how could I believe that? And we can talk about more, you know, that more a little bit later. But um, it's it's definitely, you know, weird from it's it's a much, much different perspective than how I felt while I was really active in it. Yeah, yeah. So how did your family becoming very religiously involved, how did that impact music? Um, <laughs> very directly in some ways. Um, I mentioned, you know, when, when my family, when we, we all individually got saved sometime around when I was in fifth or sixth grade, depending on the person. So really all with, within, say, a year of each other. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, at the time we were going to a church where we were taking piano lessons from the pastor's wife. So pretty much immediately, you know, being saved and having that sort of be public knowledge within the church, you were almost expected to help out with worship service if you had uh, any sort of musical proclivities. So (laughs) whether it was, you know, me filling out on bass or playing guitar or playing keyboard, you know, whatever it was. Um, just about every week I was involved with that. And, um, then when I joined the youth group at, at the other church, um, that's when it really, really ramped up. Um, like it seemed like all the, all the quote unquote cool kids were in the worship band. So, um, since I drove in with, with, uh, my neighbor, um, to youth group every week, he was usually in there because he played bass and I think he would like run the sound system for them or something like that. So I would just be sort of sitting there waiting for a youth group to start hanging out while they were practicing and messing with the sound system and stuff. Eventually they asked me to start running the sound system. So that snowballed into me being like the worship leader within like a year, maybe even less than that. And, um, it was, it was an interesting experience from a bunch of different standpoints, Um, On the one hand, I was an insecure teenager who didn't really know what he was doing and sort of mimicked what he saw other people doing while they led worship. On the other hand, it gave an insecure teenager like this weird sense of like power when I mean, there was absolutely no uh, no power really associated with that position in terms of like, you know, I'm your boss or I'm your you know father or that that sort of power dynamic. Um, but, but, uh, so anyway, so I was sort of imbued with this sense of power because at that point at that church, there was a lot of turnover with the pastoral staff. Uh, our youth pastor 
at the time um, had a um, an, uh, an inoperable or semi-inoperable brain tumor, and everybody thought he was going to die. He ended up being able to uh, get part of it removed and then cure the rest of it through uh, whatever therapy, chemotherapy or radiation, whatever he did. Um, but then after you know, sort of that life-threatening cathartic experience, he decided he wanted to become a teacher and not a pastor. So he went into teaching middle school or something like that. And we had the um, junior high pastor step up into the the high school uh, youth pastor's role, um, which was uh, a huge shift in dynamics for the youth group who had really sort of a deep attachment to the, to the previous youth pastor. Um, so that really kind of spiraled out of control pretty quickly. And that guy ended up getting fired. He was replaced by another guy who was also very shortly fired. And so in the midst of all of that. And I mean, these guys were, these guys were fired because, and I, I, I'm not going to mention any names because they don't want to disparage anybody directly, but these guys were fired for stupid things like swearing at the kids or, or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, I think one of the, one of the guys like sort of playfully, but kind of aggressively like shoved one of the students and called him I called him an asshole or something like that. Oh, and then God. like that got around. So, and to be fair, the kid was an asshole. So it's not like <laughs> it was undeserved, but um, in any event, so they kind of, you're probably pretty well versed with the politics of the evangelical church. So he, uh, he was asked pretty quick, the other guy shortly after them. And sort of during that period, I was like the constant to a degree because I was the, only person available who could lead worship. So I kind of got stuck doing that. Um, and I, I say stuck. I mean, it, um, it opened me up to a lot of different Christian experiences. Um, I think when, when you're in a worship service, it's, it's very manipulative to a degree. And and I see this now, like I said before, sort of being outside and removed from the situation. I see it a little bit more now. But um, when when I was leading worship, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was moving in people through uh, my music or through the band's music or, you know, whatever. I, I really felt like it was like an emotional, spiritual experience. And um, sort of being removed from it now, I feel like it was a lot more really emotional manipulation. It's um, like you can do so many different things with, with music and, 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 and music is such a, such an emotional thing anyway, right? Like uh, you're watching, remember the Titans or Friday night lights. And right as the person's about to make the catch, that's going to win the championship game. There's really, you know, this uplifting string music that just really, you know, brings you to tears as that, you know, football player makes the catch or whatever, or the guy hits the home run or whatever the case may be. Um, and I, I think to a degree, that's how worship music works. Like you, you kind of, you know, you, you keep it, you keep it soft maybe, and you start vamping and you start building it up and all of a sudden it reaches this crescendo and it's like, yay God. And everybody has their hands up in the air and it's, it's a very emotional experience. Um, but I don't necessarily know if it's always spiritual and sort of, so that was, um, and I, Again, I keep I keep leading into what we're going to talk about, so I'll try and stay on track. But in any event, so that was sort of the association with um, you know music and evangelicalism to me at that point. 
And at that point in my life, I really thought, you know, my calling is to be a worship pastor. That's what I want to do. I want to lead worship for the rest of my life. I think this is awesome. I really want to do this. Um, and so that at that point in my life, that's when, you know, maybe I came back from uh, going to Southern Illinois and I came back to Naperville and got into school and I was like, well, what am I going to study? Oh, well, I really want to be a worship pastor. So maybe I'll study religious studies and I'll get a degree in that. And then I'll go get my MDiv and then I'll be a worship pastor. So that was kind of the game plan for, you know, college 2.0. Um, and, and that's kind of what I started with there. And then, um, and I know you wanted to kind of get into this, but college was a, um, and I know college was a big, big experience for you. College was a big experience for me in terms of my relationship with God and my relationship with Christianity. So can um, you talk about that a little bit? What, um, yeah. unpack that a little bit. What, so let's start with your two years down South and at Southern Illinois. Yeah. So at Southern Illinois, that was like my moment of freedom. I was, you know, five and a half or six hours away from Chicago. So my parents couldn't come down and check on me. I, could do whatever I want. It was my first taste of adulthood, uh, first taste of no constraints. And so I did what any, any good college kid would do. I partied. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, I, I drank a lot. I smoked weed here and there. I had a good time, you know, whatever. And uh, it's funny because at the time, my, uh, my roommate was a guy. His name was Ashley. I don't remember his last name, so I can't identify him even if I wanted to. But... <laughs> Um, he he was a good guy, a great roommate. I treated him like shit, and I still feel bad about it. Um, just from the standpoint of I wasn't a good roommate. I was coming home drunk and you know being loud and obnoxious and all that stuff. So, uh, but he was a uh, he was a devoted Christian. He went to church every Sunday. Um, he tried to drag me to church with him every Sunday, and usually I was you know too hungover, too tired to go, so I wouldn't. Um, and so it was like, even though I still had people kind of pulling me back to the church, I was already starting to splinter or fracture from the church. So two years of pretty consistently doing that, I came home and kind of rekindled my relationship with the church. Started going back to the church that you and I both went to um, rather than the other church, which was now really my parents' church at that point. Uh, they had both transitioned over there from the old church where they had been saved. And uh, I think my brother and sister were going there, too, or something like that. So I didn't want to associate with any of them. Um, so <laughs> I decided to go to, to our church instead. And at that point, I came back and I feel like there is like a little bit of a void on the worship team at that church. Like by that point, people who were our age were you know, not at that church anymore. They were in college or they had jobs or something and they weren't going to that church anymore. So you didn't always have people to play guitar, bass or whatever, fill in where needed. So I started filling in. And again, when you fill in in a worship team, things spiral and snowball. And before I knew it, I was leading worship like every Sunday, uh, me and uh, Ben, who you know, and I won't drop last names again. But <laughs> um, fine. So uh, I did that for uh, probably about a year and a half or so. And then, so this is where earlier I mentioned, you know, the evangelical church can be very political. Um, and 
it was no more evident to me that that when I, I I started dating a girl who went to the church, she was like two years younger than me. So I think she was a senior in high school when I was a sophomore in college. She and I dated for like, I don't know, six months, eight months or something like that. And at one point she cheated on me. So I went on um, uh, AOL Instant Messenger, which was still cool at the time. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I logged on and I changed my status to something like, you know, hate the player, not the game. <laughs> it, it, was, it was literally something, you know, that innocuous. And um, a, a day later, um, our mutual friend Ben sort of pulls me aside and he goes, Hey, uh, hey, Sean, I wanted to talk to you about something. And I'm like, Yeah, you know, what's up? He's like, Hey, um, did you uh did you post this online? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, Did you and like at this point, like, I'm like, what like what could I have done? Why would he be <laughs> pulling me aside <laughs> in this really serious, sort of cryptic manner? <laughs> and and then he he pulls out a printed screenshot of my status from AOL. And he goes, uh, a member of the church put this in my mailbox with a note to talk to you about it. And they requested that you are removed from the worship team because of, you know, this, the status update. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and like, I, I don't know who it was to this day. I, I could hazard a few guesses, I'm sure. But uh, I was just like kind of dumbfounded because <laughs> even even our friend Ben was kind of like, I look, even I don't think this is a big deal, but, you know, it's sort of like the powers that be are asking for it. So we're going to we're going to give into it. So. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. I was, <laughs> yeah. Literally. I know this is an audio podcast, but I was wincing the whole time you're telling that story. <laughs> yeah, that's, it was awkward. It was awkward for, yeah, it was awkward for me, too. So. Uh, so in any event, um, I, I kind of at that point, I kind of stopped going into that church. Um, I invested more of my time back into the school. I got another job because at the time they had been paying me over the summer as like a. Uh, a worship intern. I don't know what you would call it, something like that, but they'd, they'd been paying me to do that. And I mean, I was, I was doing it. Like I showed, I showed up to my job. I did my job every week. Um, but they didn't like my status, so I didn't get to keep that job. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that was kind of the, my second break with Christianity. Now at this point, despite all of that, I still had a very, very strong, um, I had very, very strong faith in evangelicalism. And I say evangelicalism rather than Christ or God, because it really was more faith in that type of that brand of Christianity, if you will. Um, and so then I went to North Central College and I don't care if I drop the name. It's not like it's a it's not like a Duke or something cool like that. Um, so I went to North Central and I kind of came in mid-year. I didn't really know anybody. I was a commuter student, so it's not like I had developed relationships with people on campus. Luckily, I had a couple friends. Um, our mutual friend Rob went there for a while. He introduced me to a bunch of his friends, so I got to make friends with those guys. And I had a couple friends from high school who went there, too. So um, I had a handful of relationships, um, met a handful of new people. Um, but during that time... I started taking religious studies classes and sort of coming in from the perspective perspective of a um, very narrow minded evangelical. I, I, 
I came into it and I'll, I'll never forget. I took a, um, gosh, what was it? It was some world religions class where we talked about like various American religions, um, like native American religions. And there were a handful of others and I don't remember them at this point, but I remember at, at one point we were reading this story in one of the books we had about, um, a native American who went on a vision quest and the vision quest sort of started with him doing a sweat lodge. If you're familiar with that, if you're not familiar with that, that's where you go into sort of this uh, clay hut, sort of a TP type of situation, but with clay walls and they have a fire going in the middle, similar to a sauna. And you sit in there for hours, days, sometimes over a week on end with really no food and not too much water, just enough water to kind of keep you alive. And then you uh, smoke peyote. So you're, you're, you're already in sort of this um, altered state just from the condition your body's in. And then you add hallucinogenics to it. So you're in a very altered state of mind. You're having these hallucinations and, and that religion interprets that as a spiritual experience. And then so some some people then take the next step and they uh, smoke some more peyote and they go on a vision quest, which is essentially a long walk in the wilderness. And you hallucinate all through that walk and hopefully you don't like step on a rattlesnake and get bit and die. Um, so I remember sitting in class and hearing that story and everybody it was sort of a seminar class. So everybody's, you know, standing up and expressing their opinions on the subject matter and talking about, you know, why why the people who are in this religion could believe that. And I sort of stood up and go, this is absurd. How could they believe this is a religious experience? This is obviously a drug-induced hallucination. Like, let's be real with ourselves. This isn't a religion. Christianity is the only religion. <laughs> so <laughs> something narrow-minded and, and very similar to that is, is what I said. And, uh, I, I just I look back on that. I, I probably think about that situation once a month and just go, oh, man, what was I thinking? I was just <laughs> I, I was so ignorant. Um, and so that was really my first experience where I realized that there's not just one point of view. There's multiple points of views. And even if you don't agree with the other points of views, you kind of have to put yourself in in whoever's shoes. Right. To get get a good idea and a good understanding of why they believe what they believe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that was the, that was really the first point in my life where I started to think, well, maybe Christianity doesn't have all the answers and maybe evangelicalism isn't like the one true Christianity. Um, and that was really sort of the start of my kind of, uh, I hesitate to call it a breakup, but a little bit of a breakup with evangelicalism. So did so you took that seminar class did did you take other classes that kind of pushed similar buttons for you where you were uh, where you were kind of forced to come to terms with with your own perception of things? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um I I mean I'm trying to think back on all the classes I've I've taken and uh the ones that stood out to me I, I took a modern Christian thought class. That, you know, we read uh, like Schleiermacher and Bonhoeffer and I can't even remember all the other theologians that we had to read. But um, 
people who I had never heard of before, philosophers and theologians I'd never heard of or considered before. And I had no idea what their teachings were until I started to see some patterns. And then I was like, wait a second, this, this thing about this relationship with Christ that was, and I don't remember now Bonhoeffer's teaching. Like this was not like something that Billy Graham came up with. This is something that came, you know, was developed <laughs> 200 years before he lived. Um, <laughs> so like that was uh that was sort of an interesting experience for me. Um, I took um, Historical Jesus, which was a, um, well, I guess I'll describe the class like this. If you wanted to take a class that would really test your faith and test your belief in whether or not Jesus actually existed, um, Historical Jesus would have been a class that would do that. Um, It's sort of, despite calling itself Historical Jesus, it sort of set out to prove that Jesus was a a mere man and a lot of these things that are written about him are just stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a very sort of trying class for me. I mean, even taking old Testament and new Testament classes, just, you know, general classes about, um, sort of the historicity of, of the books of the Bible and things uh, like that. Yeah. That's what, that's what really did it in for me in college yeah. and, and really shook up my, uh, understanding of my own faith was actually mostly my Greek classes. I was, uh, Biblet major when I came into college, I ended up graduating with it as a minor instead of a major, but, um, I still took two straight years of Greek and, um, I mean, it's only collegiate level. It's not like graduate level. It's not doctoral level, but it was enough exposure to understanding the textual history of the Bible. And then it really begins to, um, really attack uh, the teaching of inerrancy, which like, if that's something that's like a pillar of your faith, that there's this thing that is 2000 years and, and is absolutely perfect. Um, and that's just the new Testament. You go back, you know, depending on your interpretation of the facts, 5,000 years, you know, (laughs) like the story of Job is the oldest story. And I, I mean, it's all just, like w- once you begin to learn those things, you have to reckon with them. Um, right. And whether right. you either reject the facts that you learn that have been verified through considerable scholar scholarly work, or you, <laughs> um, or you reject the thing you were taught before, <laughs> it, which, and then, exactly. and that's not, neither of them is easy because you either have to open up your mind or you have to, close it off and like you there there becomes a decision point this sort of and it can arise in a number of different ways for you it was that seminar you know where i i don't know the way you tell that story and the way you you tell that story 10 years removed or however many years now there you cross some sort of threshold where you had like a a understanding of your own beliefs in that moment or, or shortly after that moment, like you say the words and then you hear yourself say the words. It's like, wait, do I, do I, do do I feel that way? Is that, can that be right? (laughs) And so, so yeah, I mean, for me, it was Greek classes for sure. Um, 
Well, and I, I wasn't a, uh, <laughs> I wasn't as much of a glutton for punishment as, as you were. Obviously, I, did, I didn't take any of the, uh, any of the languages uh, of the Bible through which you can interpret it. Um, but just from, uh, and I mean, I, I had teachers who did for, for sure, who who understood the Greek translations, who understood the Hebrew translations, who had you know worked through all of those texts, uh, understand all the source texts, etc. And so obviously I, I sort of, you know, got that knowledge a little bit vicariously. It wasn't directly on my own, but, but still you read things in the Bible and you spoke to the inerrancy of the Bible earlier. And I think that's a really good point um, because much like the Pope uh, evangelicals interpret the Bible as uh, infallible, right? Like it's, it's inspired by God. Um, so it can't have any mistakes. And it it was interesting going through these classes where you learn about the historical circumstances around when a, a certain section of the Bible was written. Uh, you learn you learn about the um, uh, Sumerian origin stories, for example, right, and and how mm-hmm. similar they are to the to the uh, Genesis creation story. Uh, you learn about the the dual authors of Genesis, right? You learn about the, what a gosh, I'm forgetting all my terminology now, but the double redaction from um, uh, just after Deuteronomy through second Kings. Yeah. Um, oh man. The first and the first and second Isaiah is the, yeah. The, yeah. The, the two tellings of the creation story, the fact that Paul had an, what's called an amenuensis, which is someone that basically writes for him. Um, and people discussing whether th- some of the books of the New Testament are written pseudonymously, meaning that that they were just writing under Paul's name, but it wasn't really Paul. Like, right. and that those are legitimate scholarly theories. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, it, that exactly. can be extremely unnerving. To it, 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 yeah, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to speak over you, but you're right. They're they're extremely concerning theories, um, and they're concerning they're they're theories that evangelicalism as a whole decries. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, because, because of the historical fundamentalist underpinnings of evangelicalism, which a number of people aren't aware of, but there it's there. Um, so it comes from, you know, a, a series of tracks called the fundamentals that was published in the early 20th century. And it was a response to German high criticism, which was looking at the Bible as a text, um, and instead of reckoning with it and finding a way to understand that we know more about the Bible now than we ever have, and seeing that as a strength, it was seen as an attack on the very religion itself. And there were, mm-hmm. the, I mean, there are certainly people, and there are certainly people that fall away from Christianity after after in, inspecting those things. That's yeah. uh, but people fall away from from things. For all sorts of reasons. <laughs> so Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because I wouldn't even say that that was the real re- reason that, the, you know, sort of the impetus for for me breaking with Christianity necessarily. Although I, I think it definitely sort of helped convince me to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I, I mean, I had sort of been breaking away, you know, for a couple of years at that point, just like slowly step by step and you know, the, the different political machinations in the church and the combination of that and, and sort of these, um, 
what do I want to call them? Plot holes in the Bible, you know, like um, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Well, turns out maybe there weren't walls around Jericho ever. So <laughs> how do, how could they have come tumbling down? Well, you know, maybe, maybe that story has been um, embellished a little bit. Um, and, and you, you know, you sort of brought up the points earlier, you know, when you have uh, ostensibly an author of the Bible who is, who is, uh, quote unquote, writing through ghostwriters. I mean, really, you know, that's what it comes down to, right? Like, um, how do you really know that, that that's still and truly inspired by God? Well, if, if any of that is true, I think you have to take the Bible with a grain of salt. And so I think that's really where the break is between me and Christianity, at least, you know, at this point in my life, I, and and I don't claim to you know have all the all the answers or anything like that. Um, but I I see these facts, these sort of immutable facts, uh, like the um, like like the like a carbon dating record that says that this rock is three million years old. But then you you have the evangelical church saying that, well, you know, it's really only 5,000 years old. You're like, well, you're basing that off of a book. I'm basing this off of science. So there there are certain things that I look at Christianity and I say, look, I understand that you have a belief that, you know, in this set of facts or quote unquote facts as, as, as they may see them. But like we have all of this evidence that suggests otherwise and all of these facts and figures that suggest otherwise, like, isn't it possible? And I think a good example of this, and you know, some people maybe term, term this a, a God of the gaps, you know, sort of philosophy, but one of the bigger arguments in Christianity is the, um, uh, is evolution, right? Versus creationism. And in, in my mind, I say, okay, well, look, I, I can rationalize evolutionism from a, from a Christian perspective very easily. God can do anything. So couldn't he have, you know, created humanity via evolution? Yeah. Yep. Or couldn't, <laughs> could, couldn't the universe have started with the big, big bang? Couldn't it have been God saying bang? And, you know, yeah, and then also in the universe starts like, just because it just because it doesn't say that in the Bible, but it you know how do you explain if you're Adam and Eve? Let's 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 suppose that you know Adam and Eve are the first people, right? And you're God, and you're trying to tell uh, who who was it ostensibly wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses, or yes, you know Moses. Moses. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I always forget if it's Moses or no, I always forget. Um, but so if you're God and you're telling Moses, okay, here's how I created the world. How do you explain thermodynamics to somebody of Moses's qualifications? Even though he may have been one of the smartest people of his time, I seriously doubt he could grasp molecules <laughs> or, or, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, that's the, uh, yeah, like definitely. If you choose to take every word literally, then that becomes <laughs> it becomes extremely problematic. Um, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, that uh, that's definitely a biblical literalism. Literalism is it, you have to explain a lot. Um, 
Right. And right. usually the explanations are, are fairly weak. And but, you know, if you are able to say this is we accept this as symbolic language and that six six days could mean six billion years, you know, right, right. <laughs> then then things become more understandable and more compatible with our natural understanding of nature and physics and everything else and completely acceptable within Orthodox Christianity. Um, but within evangelicalism, that's just, uh, not seen as an option for many people. Right. And that does them a disservice. So that's, that's what you go to college for is to learn. And so you learned a lot of this stuff about uh, different religions, about your own religion. Is that what kind of led, uh, so this kind of became a somewhat gradual, you said it took, you know, you were kind of stepping away over a couple of years. Did you... Um, have any point where it was just kind of like, you know, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't see the world this way at all anymore. Um, or was it just kind of bit by bits? Um, how, how did, how did that part of your story go? Um, well, it, it, so it's interesting that you bring that up. It was sort of bit by bit. I mean, really it was kind of chunk by chunk and it, it's funny because, you know, it, this ties in so um, inextricably with the Republican Party right now. And I, I'm not super political, but like <laughs> I, I look at the, some, of the, some of the things that Republicans purportedly believe. And, and I say, well, you know, geez, how can you, you know, how, how can you say that this person, because of whatever makes them different, means, you know, they don't deserve X, Y or Z. <laughs> and like it's those types of those types of beliefs that the that the right wing and uh, I, I think also many evangelicals um, hold to be true that you know I see it on the political scale. I'll say I say, geez, these tie so well together and they're they're so inextricable at this point. Um, but that's that's a lot of the reason that I've sort of distanced myself. Uh, um, from Christianity over the years is because you see some of the the bigoted, hateful things that that occur that you know come from the church or come from people who claim to represent the church, and you go, man, how can I how can I associate myself with these people? It, it's like, and this is a terrible comparison because it's absolutely not you know on par, but it, it, I imagine it's sort of like what people went through in Nazi Germany. It's like, there's a lot of people who are saying the Nazis are going to be good. Yeah, but they hate the Jews and they're, they're killing <laughs> the Jews and they want to kill the Jews. Yeah. But I mean, they're, they, they want all these things and they, and they, and it's very funny. Cause I see a lot of parallels between that and Trump too. Like he says these things about like <laughs> killing all the Muslims or, or kicking them all out of the country or whatever. And it, like rational people look at that and go, oh, my God, this guy is insane. But then there are people who go, yeah, I can let that slide because I don't want to vote for, you know, the Democratic. Just I don't want to vote for the other side of the fence. It's like, man, I, I'm sure that's how, you know, Hitler got to be in power. Right. Like it's it's the people who, you know, do nothing. And in any event, so tying that back into to, to Christianity. I see a lot. I've seen a lot of that happening over the years, and every time I, every time I, I see Christians doing these types of things or aligning themselves with 
with the types of people who who you and I would look at and go, oh man, that just that person's just a bad reflection of humanity. Um, and I say I I can't be part of it anymore. I I don't want to go to people and say I'm a Christian because of how it reflects on me. Like we're as Christians, we're called to be you know beacons of light, right? We're called to bring people to Christ. We're called to show love. And we're not doing that. And what's worse is like we we look like hypocrites because we call on other people to do exactly what we're not doing. But we think it's OK because of whatever our white Christian privilege or whatever you want to call it. Um, so in any event, that's really what what drove it home for me that, you know, Christianity maybe isn't. Maybe isn't the best fit for me. Um, just because there, I, I, I think that, or at least maybe, maybe that's a w- bad way to put it. Uh, evangelical Christianity, at least the brand that we grew up with, isn't for me for those reasons. Mm-hmm. There, there, yeah, I've seen more and more sort of these, uh, for lack of a better term, underground Christian faiths. Um, or alternative brands of Christianity where they're accepting of people, where they, you know, <laughs> don't have these kind of bigoted ideas about, you know, if you're gay and if whether or not that matters, you know, in terms of your salvation or in terms of God's acceptance of you, or in terms of the church's acceptance of you. Um, and in any event, so I, I, there may be there may be a version of Christianity that kind of you know, gets it right, or at least from my perspective, gets it right. Uh, but I haven't found it yet. So while I won't say that, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself an atheist or an agnostic because I, I still believe in God, you know, sort of deep down. Um, but really for me, it's, it's more about trying to rationalize, you know, how I live my life with what I think are, are sort of the main tenets of Christianity, which are love God and love your neighbor. Um, and to, to me, there's not much else that matters besides those. Um, but it, again, everybody's got their own interpretation of this. So it doesn't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean I'm wrong, but um, that's my perspective. Yeah. And that's valuable. And that's why, that's why I'm collecting these stories because it's, it is valuable to, to express that and to, you know, everyone, everybody is still working these things out and to pretend otherwise is, uh, kind of silly to be honest. Oh, for Um, sure. So, so yeah, I mean that, that I know that there are a lot of people that will be able to identify with that. You know, you have a particular background and it did not, gel it didn't it didn't cohere with you um it doesn't cohere with a lot of people that's the thing that you know, that is the uh major problem within the evangelical form of christianity in particular is it does not how know how to handle dissent it doesn't it doesn't know how to handle alternative perspectives um even the thought of entertaining them sometimes is damn near heretical um, and that's really hard when you, when you're creating spaces that are ostensibly for learning and for, um, for growth. Like a lot of that involves really pushing questions to their limit and it's going to have, it's going to have 
tangible outcomes in the way people perceive the world. So, right. um, but uh, one of the things that is really done to try to, um, to control that side, that side of all of us, because it's there inside of all of us, whether we know it or not is through the sort of media that we all have access to. Um, so, so evangelicalism has been very successful in creating an entirely separate subculture that allows us, that allows evangelicals to only consume Christian TV, Christian music, Christian, um, movies, movies across the board, uh, and has also created ways in which to discourage people from, um, participating in the more generalized media that is created. Um, and I, for one, I, in high school and, uh, well, no, I don't think I did. Maybe I did my freshman year of college, but all through high school, my job, my, uh, my part-time job was working at a Christian bookstore. So I was like deeply in this world. Um, and uh, let's start with music because, I love like think looking back now I can uh, I can see where this sort of things happened because in most Christian music Christian bookstores um which are kind of like the the place of influence for a lot of these things mm-hmm. um in most Christian bookstores they have a, a recommendation guide that's like if you like uh if you like the descendants then try the insiders or like, like if you like Scott music, try the insiders. If you like country, try third day, uh, you know, or whatever. Yeah. If you like, um, the Philip Wilson Phillips, then try point of grace or FFH, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, uh, uh, if you, uh, I mean, I, uh, this is like for a deep, deep cut. My first concert ever, ever. This is embarrassing to put on the public record. My first concert ever was a Carmen concert. Oh God! <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah, that that happened, and that's part of my history, people. <laughs> um, I I will uh, I'll I'll do you the favor of, of of saying that we should probably bleep that so people don't have to. <laughs> so I I have. But it's it's funny that that you share that story because um, I actually worked at a Christian bookstore too during yes, high school. Yes, bros. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I uh, I worked at uh, gosh, what was it? Family Christian store? Uh, yeah, I, I worked at uh, Limstone in the mall. Oh, our arch nemesis. Yes, yes. Wait, what so. was Limstone like? The more Catholic one, or was that? Uh, no, it was the one that Cokesbury just, or something like that. Uh, no, Cokesbury is owned by the United Methodist Church. Okay, uh, and it's basically a church supply store. Um, <laughs> yeah, literally, like it. I mean, it's where they go, where like the clergy go and buy like communion wafers and and like their uh, raiments Him. and yeah. everything. Um, but Limstone, ours at least, was like. Twenty five percent of the store was Thomas Kincaid prints, like like <laughs> yeah. marked up like two hundred percent. And they call themselves Christians. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I mean, it was bad. It was, and from a 
uh, it was bad because it was pricey inventory and it would only move when they docked it like 35, 45, 50%. Um, so they were always, <laughs> and they always ended up selling it at a loss and buying it. I mean, it was bad. Um, but anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, we definitely had the Thomas Kincaid section too. Yeah. Uh, and then we had a whole, uh, and, and there was like a section that was devoted to whatever the Christian fad was. So at one point it was Prayer of Jabez. There was a whole Prayer of Jabez section. Yeah. And it was like those stupid little square books and like, uh, you know, coins with the Prayer of Jabez on it and uh, whatever else. Um, any other sort of tchotchke you could put the Prayer of Jabez on. They put it on and put it in this whole big section right by the cash register. Did, did you guys have test? Did you get? Did you guys have testaments? Yes, those were delicious. Did, uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> I used to. I used to steal testaments from Devil <laughs> Christian Bookstore. They they kept my breath. They kept my breath fresh um, through the power of Christ. But um, yes. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was very interesting to me working at the family Christian bookstore, especially during the interview process. And like, I I don't want to get anybody sued, but like, they definitely asked me about my religion, but like in a very uh, sort of backhanded way. It's like we can't officially ask you if you're saved, wink, wink, but uh, <laughs> you are saved, right? Like, you know that type of a thing. <laughs> um, to, to work there, which was, uh, which still is interesting to me, you know, now knowing what, what I know about hiring law and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in any event, uh, that was, uh, that was another, you know, sort of big experience because I, I started working there really because I really loved DC talk and I hate to admit that. <laughs> That's all right. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, but so like that, and I, I mean, you sort of mentioned there's that suggestion guide. Like, if you like DC Talk, you might also like. And um, I like totally bought into that. Like, I was like, man, DC Talk. Like, they, they've got uh, Goatee Records, and Goatee Records produces, and like I could go down and tell you, I don't know. W's seventh day Jesus or whatever the, uh, I don't even know all the names of the bad bands. Like <laughs> I, I think they signed like 20 bands when they started that label. And I think maybe one of them like gained really any amount of success. Um, yeah. But like, there's just, there's so, so much bad Christian music. And then what, you know, what's worse, I think both for the church and for music is that, you would at some point it was like mainstream bands realized that if they said they were a Christian band, they would get signed by a label immediately and they could start making music. And all they had to do is say God and Jesus a couple times <laughs> and, and the Christians would, you know, buy it cause we're stupid. And, um, it, it, it's funny because like, I remember seeing that happen. And then a couple years later, South park did an episode about that. Where, where they made fun of how a mainstream artist who I think, I, I think Cartman starts a band where he's like, it's like a, a like yeah. a Satan metal band or something like that. And then he turns it into a Christian band because he realizes he can make it big faster. Yeah. And then, uh, oh man. My one, I think my favorite part of that episode is when uh, Cartman has 
they're doing the album cover and he has them <laughs> all face different directions and just stare off <laughs> and just <Yeah>. stare off. He's <laughs> like, no, you fit, you turn around, just turn around. <laughs> like, like it was spot on. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I can, I can still name off like the bands that I, I would still like consider good. I don't know whether to waffle and say decent or whatever, but I know like switch. Give me your give me your top five. Top five. uh, Switchfoot, Um, the Normals, um, interesting. Five Iron Frenzy, interesting. Um, I was really into Caveman's Call for a while. Um, I like uh, I like Derek Webb. Yeah, Derek Webb is good. His songs are always the best. Um, Yeah. Fifth one. I don't know how to round this out. Um, uh, shoot, man. So uh, whatever me, the whatever me, the whatever the. I mean, if I have to add a worship album, it'd be like the. Oh well, I, okay. I could add Jars of Clay, but I wasn't even huge into them. So I'll add a worship album in and say it was uh, whichever one uh, called a worship. The first one with uh, God of Wonders on it that had. Um, yep. the third day guy and a couple of caveman's call people on it. Yep. Um, yeah, that was a pretty solid, uh, worship album. And actually that was when everyone realized they would make a shitload of money by selling <laughs> worship albums, like just truckloads of money. Um, third day just became a worship band after that album. I'm pretty sure that and their album offerings. Um, like that, that was a great album too. It was a great album. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's my, that's probably my top five. <laughs> was uh was offerings the one that had the uh the live version of consuming fire on, on it um i think so it's either that one or offerings too okay I, but offering the first one was definitely the uh the better one um, yeah i think that was the one on the one that was on though um I saw, yeah, I mean, I saw, oh man, I saw so many concerts. I saw a Skillet concert. And Skillet, Skillet was great when they first came out. I really liked Skillet's first couple albums. They, they're one of the most commercially successful bands right now. Really? Yeah, like touring-wise. Like, they make bank. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I, I had no idea they were still around. Yeah, they're still around. They're kicking in their 40s or whatever. And it's because, weirdly enough... Christian metal is like one of the strongholds of the metal genre. So like, so like all these metal metal heads, like kind of tolerate the fact that there's all these Christian bands doing it because there's just not that many metal bands in general. Um, Cause it's just like a genre that doesn't really resonate with a lot of people anymore. Um, Cause there's no beat that drops or whatever, like in Skrillex. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a youth anymore. I don't know things. Yeah, you, you, I don't even know what a Skrillex is. <laughs> um, did you ever go to um, uh, Agape or any of those Christian music festivals when you were growing up? Uh, no, I never did Agape, and I never did Cornerstone. I wanted to do both of them at, at one point or another, but I actually never did. I'd, I just I've never really done music festivals in general, so that just might be a thing with me. Did you go to any? Yeah, so Rob, Rob and I went to Rob, our mutual friend, and I went to uh, Cornerstone together one year because the girl that I had a crush on went there, and so we drove down there. Like I think we paid for like a day pass, 
and then just like stayed and, and camped and stayed there for free the rest of the weekend. But um, like there was more weeds, weed smoke at uh, Cornerstone than I think. It, and for the past two years, I've had to go to Bonnaroo because they were a client of mine. Or, I don't know if you're familiar with Bonnaroo. Yeah. Is that the one outside Nashville? Yeah, yeah. So uh, about uh, for for our listeners, if you don't know, it's a it's a huge uh, hippie um, music festival just outside of Nashville. Um, I, I shouldn't say hippie because they've got like uh, your Skrillex or um, Dead Mouse or any of those like cool bands that I don't listen to. Um, they've got those guys there too. Like this year, they had Tame Impala, they had Pearl Jam. Um, uh, Dead and Company was the headliner, but anyway, so there's there's a ton of weed smoked and drugs consumed at this festival, and I swear I've never smelled more weed smoke than when I was at uh, Cornerstone. <laughs> Just like uh, got to cut loose somewhere, I guess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, like a Christian music festival. That's the place to do <laughs> that's, it. That's your um, spot. <laughs> yeah. So 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 the highlight the highlight from that trip. Um, was one night at like three in the morning, uh, the girl I had a crush on and I were hanging out and she knew like one of the heads of security somehow or something like that. So we got to go backstage and watch POD. Yes. Yes. POD. Yeah. So that was the, that's not only one of the lowlights of, uh, that trip. That was one of the lowlights of my life. They had that cool music video in the bus, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They did. <laughs> I can't think of their single, their crossover single. Um, oh man, uh, yeah, I can't think of it. Um, it'll it'll come it'll come to me. Yeah. Oh my gosh, can't think of it. Oh well, I'll I'll think of it. Don't worry as we're going. But <laughs> yeah. Um, um, gosh, yeah, I forgot about that band. Uh, was it Youth of the Nation or or Alive? Uh, alive, yes, Alive. That's oh. it. God, that like that band is like uh, just a straight knockoff of Creed, and neither of those bands are very good. <laughs> that song was popular right around the same time as uh, Evanescence, and I think they were another yep. like uh, crossover band or whatever. Which mm-hmm. we can talk about crossovers in general. Um, but, but that have you seen that that uh, their big song, the "Wake Me Up Inside" song, is like a yeah. inter- it's an internet internet meme now. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah, like wake me up inside, can't wake up is uh those because those lyrics don't make any sense whatsoever. Um <laughs> those two together, wake me up inside and then the response can't wake up. Yeah. Like just uh put that into MJ or something <laughs> or or Reddit or Google Images or whatever. Uh you'll get some funny results. Um, but yeah, which is funny because it was uh, like an obscure Christian song. Um but yeah, now it's a now it's an internet thing. But uh, to me, I like yeah, uh, crossovers like POD and um, Switchfoot. Later on, they're they're actually they're the beautiful letdown was a letdown of an album. Um, <laughs> uh, because I actually loved Learning to Breathe, which was their album right before that, and mm. I even nostalgically listened to it a couple months ago. <laughs> Um, but yeah, crossovers were weird because you could, um, you like felt this weird sort of like cultural pride that like, oh, uh, yeah. Like one of us made it, made it big time and like, and they accept us for 
for who we are kind of like, but at the same time you're like, Oh man, I hope they don't succumb to the success and become not like us. It was, it's, yeah. a, it was always kind of like a weird thing. Like jars of clay did it and uh switchfoot did it and sixpence none the richer. Um, DC talk DC striper t- and yeah. 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 Like all these, all these bands, uh, the guy behind dashboard confessional, um, you know, they all started out as good Christian folk and hopefully they don't become, <laughs> uh, you know, just, a a bad person. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I don't even know what, like no one would ever put a label on that part. Like, I hope they don't lose their salvation by becoming successful. Yeah. Well, well you, you make a very, very good point. I think, um, because that was something that I would hear a lot growing up. Like, Oh, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe bad example because it's more current, but like, Oh, Peyton Manning, such a great quarterback, you know, great leader, great quarterback, great person. Oh, and by the way, you know why he's a Christian. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, well, okay. Like maybe that plays into it, but I don't know if that's the reason I should like him. Um, but you're right. Like that was something that we'd hear a lot. Like, Oh, that person who made it is that person who's famous now is a Christian. So that's like a big deal for us somehow. Like it's, it's a win for our community. Almost. It's a, it's a very, very strange phenomenon because I think the, the other place that you see that phenomenon is, um, culturally, right? Like, uh, bad example, but like maybe I grow up in a, grow up in, in Aurora rather than Naperville, not to just besmirch Aurora, but, uh, Maybe I grew up in the bad part of Aurora, but I make it out. I go to Harvard. I get, you know, a bunch of degrees and then I go on and become a successful CEO. Like the people in my neighborhood might be like, wow, you know, Sean made it like he's one of us and he's, you know, rich and famous now or whatever. Like that's the only other place I can think that, you know, that type of a dynamic exists. Yeah. Where you, yeah, you just uh, attach a, like a cultural pride to something that, uh, might not. Yeah, it it doesn't necessarily commute. C- compute. <laughs> yeah, like, you're right. Just be, the, just because you're one thing doesn't mean you're the other. Um, and, and and then the flip side of the coin, and I I think I wrote on our uh, on our text messages that we exchanged earlier that I wanted to talk about divorce and Amy Grant, but only because that's the flip side of that, that coin. It was like when Amy Grant became famous and everybody knew her stuff, all of the Christians were like that Amy Grant, she is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife is named after Amy Grant. So if that gives you any idea, like how famous she was in the, in the Christian uh, bubble, like she, I mean, she had people named after her and then she got a divorce and was just uh, outcast. I mean, I, I remember my mom reading, um, was it Focus? Did, didn't James Dobson have a magazine called Focus on the Family or something yes, like that? Yeah, that's his, that's his organization. Yeah. So I remember she was reading an article about that and she was just distraught. How terrible. How could, you know, how could she do this? If she's a Christian, how dare she get a divorce? You know, this is not what a Christian does. This is not a good representation of our faith, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we look at that now, 20 plus years after the fact, 30 years after the fact. Uh, well, I guess not 30, so 20 years after the fact. Um, and we go, okay, that's not really that big of a deal. Tons of Christians get divorces, and it's not really 
grounds for termination of your faith. It, it's just you weren't compatible with whoever you were married to. Um, but it's it's just funny that it's it's such a strange thing because the only other place that you see that sort of excommunication and maybe that's a strong term because we don't really excommunicate per se in evangelicalism. Um, well, that's just because there's no overarching body to, to right. But but for all intents and purposes, she was to she's persona non grata. You know, yeah. she was oh, she definitely. was no longer no longer welcome. In, um, in the eyes of the overall community. Yeah. And so it, it, it's just, it, it's funny because on the one hand, we, we look up to these, you know, fellow Christians who are athletes or performers or, you know, whatever. And we say, there is a shining example of a, a good Christian who is, you know, successful in life and they're giving it all back to God. But then as soon as they screw up, there's absolutely no sympathy and no second chances and no forgiveness from uh, from people who claim to be a religion, you know, led by somebody who forgave everybody. So exactly, exactly. Um, I so one other thing I wanted to talk about, uh, if it's okay with you, is are you, uh, really both of our experiences. Obviously, like we have a lot in common from like the Christian music perspective and like what we kind of had to listen to. And I don't know how it was for you, but for me, it was like I could only listen to Christian music because my mom, being a uh, good Christian. Um, didn't want me corrupted by the world. And so what, what that means is that what's, what's the, what's the turn of phrase uh, in the world, but not of it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So to her, what that meant was I have to shelter the kids from every possible thing. That's not biblical or Christian. So that, that meant like, I don't think I saw a PG 13 movie until I was probably 15. I don't think I saw an R movie until I was, at least 16 or 17. Um, and even then it wasn't like my parents would have let me watch that. It, I probably was like hanging out with, with like you or, or somebody else <laughs> and watching super troopers. Like, yeah, yeah, no. Um, um, yeah. So for me, it wasn't, um, it wasn't as stringent that didn't come from my parents. I mean, a lot of, uh, a lot of my involvement and in me getting very involved in youth group, uh, in high school and, and everything like that. I mean, that was very voluntary. Um, for me, uh, I was just very, very interested. I was a very hyper motivated sort of person and 
in regards to like trying to understand what Christianity was about. And so like wanting to work in a Christian bookstore, all of that sort of stuff um, was uh, very self-motivated at the time. Um, But my parents were not, my parents did not uh, um, really refuse to let me watch certain things. They didn't want me to watch, uh, you know, like South Park or the Simpsons or whatever. Um, and, but I mean, I would still sneak around and watch those things. And, um, you know, I, my dad's favorite band, uh, is like three dog night. Um, Oh, nice. You know, uh, it loves like Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Uh, Beach Boys was like uh, was something I would listen to as a kid. I like found um, you know uh, one of my dad's old tapes or or whatever and listened to that. Uh, but no, not like for me. It wasn't necessarily like I couldn't watch certain things or only listen to Christian music. That was um, something I kind of I kind of sought out. But I didn't. I like blended that with the more like secular sort of secular versus Christian music or, or movies. And even at the time, like I knew Christian movies in particular were 99% garbage. Um, like, <laughs> like production quality. That, that is very generous. Uh, <laughs> like production quality, very low acting quality, uh, low to middling and, um, and, and storylines very bad because they all had to be redemptive and they all had to had to shoehorn something in. Like <laughs> I don't quite understand that because like some very key parts of like classic literature are explicitly Christian. Like um like Russian novelists. Like read Tolstoy or read uh, Dostoevsky, and you will be floored by the Christianity that's present in those books. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, like Crime and Punishment and the Brothers Karamazov are like uh, pinnacles of human civilization and imbued with Christianity all the way throughout, but they're not garbage. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but so for me, no, it was more, um, it was more uh, self motivated, but, um, they were probably happy about it. Um, and I mean, they listened to the Gaither brothers and Ray bolts and, uh, Christian music, but it, it was not the, we were not, um, when it came to our cultural diet, uh, we weren't like whatever the Christian version of the version of like vegetarian was for like media or something. <laughs> you know, we, we were omnivores see, well, for you. See- it wasn't that way. Yeah, no, it, it, I, man, I, I wish I'd grown up in your family from that, for that reason, at least. Um, yeah, no, my, so my dad, like I said, he, he was never as intense about Christianity as my mom was. And for, for whatever reason, you know, she has holds these beliefs about, uh, so I'm going to take another step back and give you even more history about my family. So my, my mom is, uh, she, she was born in San Francisco, but she lived really the first 12 or 13 years of her life in Honduras. And I I never really thought too much about that, at least how it relates to Christianity until a couple of years ago when my, um, my, my mom's mom still lived down in Honduras at that point. And she would come up, you know, from time to time to keep her visa current and, um, allow her to keep you know, coming back to the U.S. every so often because she's getting older. She's in her, I think, late 90s at this point. And um, 
So a couple years ago, my um, my mom, my dad, and my sister all went down to Honduras to pick her up one last time to bring her up to to the U.S. So ostensibly, she can she can die at a certain point, but uh, they wanted her to die up here rather than in Honduras, which is uh, both good and bad because she uh, she does not like living in Chicago. She'd much prefer to live with her. Uh, she has like two sisters who lived with her in Honduras. So she would much prefer to live down here, but they brought her up to Chicago. So um, in any event, so I, I, I tell you that because I thought just my mom had weird beliefs about certain things. And I'll give you an example. So um, alcohol was like a big uh, source of consternation between me and my mom. Um, she has a belief that and this is almost a verbatim quote that if you even have a sip of alcohol, you your personality totally changes. You turn into another person, and that person is a bad person, and that person is not a Christian person. And he, I mean, I went to college. I worked in bars and restaurants and stuff like that. So you learn about how alcohol works in the body and how quickly it metabolizes so, so that you know how to serve somebody and you know how not to over-serve somebody. And uh, so anyway, so she holds these weird beliefs like that. And, you know, obviously I take it with a grain of salt and I kind of go, okay, yeah, mom, but what about, and try to lay out the facts. Um, And so I thought it was just her. And so I didn't really, you know, okay, that's an argument that my mom might want to have or not. So then my sister and my mom and dad go down to Honduras to get her mom. And it turns out that's like, like a thing that people believe in Honduras among other sort of weird, uh, semi religious semi evangelical beliefs. Um, like they don't like, so the, the evangelical Christians in Honduras, I guess, don't believe that Catholics are Christians. And they, in fact, they sort of have a, uh, like, like a, like an animosity toward Catholics because of it. They kind of turn their noses up a little bit like, Oh, those people. Yeah. They say they're Christians, but they're not really Christians, that type of a thing. Um, so it like, it, it was weird. Um, and, and I thought it was just like my mom had some strange beliefs, but it turns out it's like a weird cultural thing from, from Honduras. <laughs> um, but in any event, so, so growing up, like that was the kind of, those were the kind of beliefs I sometimes had to continue. And with, and so one of those really had to do with, um, you know, what you expose yourself to. Um, and it, I think really it probably all ties back to keeping your body a temple, right? So if you, if you watch a lot of porn, it desensitizes you to porn. And so all of a sudden you're, you know, into some really heavy shit and that affects your relationship with God. So, you know, keep your body pure. Don't look at porn, you know, so that, that's sort of, that's sort of an argument. Um, except to her, it extended to movies, to TV, to music. So, you know, we talked about the Christian music that we listened to. That was really all I was allowed to listen to that. And, you know, whatever my mom liked. So, you know, heavy doses of Elvis Presley, um, one ABBA album that she would just repeat on play (laughs) for, for hours and days and weeks at a time. Um, she seriously, like, you know, this is back when there were like only cassette tapes, right? So like she would play that one side of the cassette tape with dancing queen on it 50 times in a row. And there's nothing, you know, as a 10 year old or 12 year old, you can do about it. (laughs) Um, 
So like that was that was the kind of thing that I grew up with. And then at one point, and this was when in high school I uh, as part of a, an acapella group for a little bit with a couple of our peers, and uh, we we covered a song uh, from Billy Pilgrim called Insomniac, and. Um, that was like sort of my first exposure to secular music. And this was in high school. I was probably 15. I was probably 16. And this is like my first real exposure to like secular music that is not from 1960 and, you know, not something my mom listens to. Uh, So I heard that song and like somehow I convinced my mom to buy me the CD at Barnes and Noble. And I'll never forget that like, as we're about to buy the CD, she goes, hang on a second. Will you open that CD so I can listen to it really quick? I just want to make sure there's nothing on it. You know, that's bad. And, and, and the CD that she was buying me was a college acapella group from uh, university of Indiana or Indiana university. So it's like, what could possibly be bad on that album that, uh, <laughs> that a 16 year old couldn't listen to? Um, but so that's how, that's how like, um, sensitive she was to that type of stuff so mm-hmm. and i don't know if that was just my family or if that's like a theme within christianity where where you know the the you're uh the people you look up to like just naturally shelter you from what they perceive as evil in the outside world regardless of if it's you know really bad or not um but that's sort of what i what i grew up with so like i didn't I didn't see any like I didn't see Shawshank Redemption until I was out of high school for sure. And the Shawshank Redemption, for the record, is one of my favorite movies ever. I would contend that it might be the best movie of all time. Um, But like that's that's, again, a movie that's totally fine, I think, for a 16 year old to see. I don't think there's anything really graphic or really bad in that movie. Um. But anyway, so she yeah. she would never have allowed me to see it. So that's kind of how I grew up. So I yeah. grew up watching all these terrible Christian movies that you talked about and listening to all this really bad Christian music like DC Talk and the W's and Michael W. Smith. And, <laughs> uh. Yeah, yeah, I um, yeah, I think I, I think with movies in particular, and well, and and with mu- music, it's a very weird sort of dance that has that people try to make. I went to a um I went to a very Christian uh, like an evangelical Christian school and when I first went into when I first went into a uh, freshman year um you weren't supposed to watch rated R movies and actually you like signed something that I didn't even realize um so they have you sign something that basically says you know you're a Christian and you're a good person and you will you won't drink or smoke while you're there and i knew that was like the deal um going into it but i what i didn't know going into my freshman year is that there was a curfew for freshmen um and that you had to earn a 3.0 or higher to get it removed as a sophomore um that you couldn't um watch rated r movies um you weren't yeah that was brand new to me when i and i got really mad <laughs> <laughs> when I learned that, um, so this uh, was a four on the floor kind of a yeah kind of a school. Oh, absolutely. And um, so, I mean, when it came to like uh, when it came to girls in dorm rooms and things, there were all sorts of legal legalistic loopholes to go through. Um, but the thing that was crazy is that 
um, sophomore year, they institute uh, a committee, basically, to begin to approve certain rated R movies. So Braveheart was approved because you could liken Braveheart's violence to spiritual warfare, which <laughs> is what? <laughs> um, like, that's an insanely violent movie. There are beheadings. There are multiple amputations by um, by sword. Uh, there yeah, that's, has, that's, that's, a, that's a hell of a stretch to justify that. Yeah. So, and most of it had to do with um, with violence. Violence ended up being okay because because spiritual warfare. Um, but anything that had even no whiff of uh, sexual content would be removed outright. And I mean, because this is an evangelical thing, there were there were grades. So, a listing was like you can watch this on your own. B listing uh, was we viewed we viewed this as a committee and you can watch this in the presence of a teacher and have a discussion afterwards. C listing is it failed and you can't watch this at all. <laughs> so uh, it was at like the Matrix was like came out right before that. I think that got approved because of all of its weird spiritualism mm-hmm. um, and it was just violent. It wasn't sexual. But I think the the sequel didn't pass the test because it had a sex scene in it. Um, <laughs> they they showed the Matrix in youth group. I want to say one time at the church that we both went to. Nice. And go it, that youth group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, and I just remember thinking, why are we watching this? Yeah. But it, you're you're right. It does have some spiritual. Uh, I mean, overtones. the ship is called Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's in the Bible. And and Neo is Jesus. That's right. And pretty explicitly in the final movie. <laughs> That's right. He's on a cross. <laughs> Oh yeah, so I was talking just about the the ratings and everything. I mean that that sort of thing is you always have to. Uh, there's always this uh, compulsion to justify um, consuming something that's not explicitly Christian, um, which is a which is an odd compulsion that people just it, it turns every decision into a moral decision, um, and that's a heavy burden. Um, and like to have that. Uh, on a kid is also can also be kind of hard. I understand as a as an as a parent now, um, under n- knowing your child and knowing what they're developmentally ready for and what's appropriate for them, even like certain cartoons. My daughter is four. Um, some four year olds might be able to watch something with uh, you know some cartoon fisticuffs or like mm-hmm. people getting upset but you know my daughter's not much uh, she's she's very sensitive she doesn't like conflict right now mm-hmm. she's not ready for that in her entertainment so 
now most of her shows are not about conflict, they're about problem solving. You know, most of the shows like Daniel Tiger, um, she doesn't watch that one as much. She's aged out of that a little bit, but I mean, it's about like uh, managing your emotions. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. it's not about, but so I understand that as a parent, um, removing, uh, but making everything cohesive from a single perspective, um, and from a single religious perspective is, uh, is something that I, I don't see the direct value in that. Um, so, um, my parents didn't emulate that. They, they presented me with Christian things, but they did not, um, remove me from more general things. So for that, I'm thankful. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, if it's okay with you, I wanted to, kind of talk about one more thing just because it's sort of a weird Christian experience that I have. It's, I don't know if you went through anything like this or, or if anybody we we know did, but it's sort of a funny story. So I wanted to, you know, maybe leave everybody with this before we, uh, before we end the discussion. Sure. Absolutely. And let's go for it. So, uh, so this is, this is going to take us down a totally different path than what we've been on so far. So (laughs) everybody sort of take a deep breath and collect yourselves. (laughs) Um, So I remember when I was in sixth grade, I was, um, it was like, it must've been like a Friday night or something like that. Cause I had a guitar lesson in the morning and my dad comes home from work. And again, I I was 12 or 13 or something like that. My dad comes home from work and he goes, my dad's an attorney and he goes, uh, hey, Sean, one of my clients came by today and he uh, he owns this hotel and he uh, he's gave me a, a free night stay in it. So if you want, you know, you can come with. We'll stay at the hotel. We'll, you know, go play in the pool, whatever. And I'm like, you know, maybe I was younger than that. maybe I was like 10. But I was like, yeah, let's do it. Pool, hotel. That sounds awesome. Like, why are we going to the hotel? Doesn't matter. OK, let's do it. So we get to the hotel and. I'm noticing as we're walking in, my dad has sort of some strange things with him. He's got this boom box, like CD player, little boom box, uh, battery powered type thing. And he's got sort of a, a book of CDs, almost like a, almost like books on tape. They used to come in those like plastic, um, I don't know, containers. Yeah, that would have like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That would have like three sleeves of like CDs in there. <laughs> to, t- to tell one book. Um, and I was like, okay, well that's kind of weird, but okay, whatever. We're going to, we're going to go have fun at the hotel. So we get up to the hotel room and my dad levels with me. He's like, Sean, you know, the reason I, the reason I brought you to this hotel room is because it's time for us to have the talk. And like immediately in my heart, sank i was just like oh crap this is gonna be like the most uncomfortable conversation ever so we commence having the talk and it, it starts off with him just kind of you know probing me like what you know what do you know about sex what trying to figure out like you know where i am i guess sort of on the knowledge scale and i kind of give him the old you know uh, I give him the, the okay sign, make a, make a circle with my index finger and my thumb. And then I take my index finger from my other hand and I poke it through the circle. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of works like that. Right. And, and he kind of <laughs> gives me a, yeah, kind of. And, and, and that was like, that was the jumping off point for the rest of the night because 
uh, from that point on, like I had a very like, uh, and I mean, we got to this hotel at probably four or five in the afternoon. And I, I think the pool closed at 11 and right about 11. My dad's like, okay, let's go to the pool. And the pool was closed when we got down there. So it's like, it's always, but so, so we're, we're going through and we're, ha- yeah, I know. <laughs> so we're going through, we're having this conversation and he's like, he's asking me questions and like telling, like telling me things. He's like, some women like this and some women like this, some women don't like this. And I'm like, this is way too much information for like a 12 year old to handle. And, um, so we get down, it's, it's late at night. Um, I'm just like totally burnt out because I mean, this is the equivalent. If you've ever sat through like a corporate training <laughs> and it's just like, you know, eight hours a day. And like at the end of it, you get back to your hotel and you're like, Oh man, forget like, this is the worst. That's what that night was like. And then at the end of it, he's like, okay, now we're going to listen to some James Dobson focus on the family tapes about sex. So then we we spent like the next two hours listening to like I think they were cassette tapes. They might have been CDs of James Dobson talking about sex and masturbation and porn. And it was like the worst night of my life. So so we get we get done. We, we get done. We go to bed like wake up the next morning. He knows he has to get me to my guitar lesson. So he like takes me to my guitar lesson. And I like and it's funny because like that morning I woke up, I felt kind of sick, like my back, you know, before you get sick, your like back kind of hurts and your muscles ache and stuff like that. And uh, I felt kind of crappy. And like, I, he dropped me off for my guitar lesson, took the guitar lesson, came home and then had proceeded to have like one of the worst, like sick weeks of my life. Like I was just like (laughs) totally dead to the world. And I I think it just had to do with like how much that conversation about sex, like (laughs) killed me on the inside. And I, I don't know if he had I don't know if he had a similar conversation with my brother or with my sister, but I I intend on not doing it the same way with my son. Let's leave it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is next level. I I have uh, not heard anything like that before. Yeah, it was. Oh my god, it was super super awkward. I just. Uh, like even thinking about it now and and the worst part, like I feel like if I had been raised in a secular family, that conversation would have been a lot easier because I, I don't think that it would have been as taboo, like to have the, have the conversation to actually talk about sex. I feel like that's very taboo in evangelicalism generally um, in my family, probably even more so. So like it was oh my gosh such an awkward situation. Never oh want to gosh. go through anything like that again. Oh man, that uh that is quite a way to cap the conversation. <laughs> so. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> wow. But uh oh, yeah, man. Anyway. Well, thanks for having me on, Blake. It, it's been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed having the conversation with you and going through this discourse. It's been yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks. I I really appreciate um you sharing and and you know commiserating or or the camaraderie <laughs> of uh, of being former Christian bookstore employees and and all that sort right. of stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's Christian, been a lot of fun. Yeah, Christian bookstore employees for life. <laughs> That's right. Start a Facebook group. It'll be a private one. I don't want that public record. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right.
walking in the garden one day when a snake slipped around her feet. Follow me right over to this tree and I'll give you something good to eat. Why no? Are you sure? I don't think it is right. It doesn't matter, just open your mouth and take a tasty bite. Said to him, I think it's in much boy, does it look right? Said to her, just take my word and I promise that it's in the lie. Why don't you get it in? Cause I don't want to see a face around here no more. Why don't you get it in? Cause this is now and now before. Cause you all the devil and the devil is bad. You all the devil and the devil is bad. You all the devil and the devil is bad. You all the devil 